Hello folks, you're back once again for another episode of Campbell's Footballs! Yes, a warm welcome to Campbell's Footballs, the only podcast where bad predictions are cancelled out by good crack. On this week's show, I am joined by a very special guest. This man is manager of Motherwell Under-18s, but has also played at a fantastic level in Scotland and in Northern Ireland. I'm joined by German O'Carroll to discuss his remarkable career, which spans Celtic, Glenavon, Cliftonville and Crusaders in Northern Ireland. I'll be chatting to German about his career and how is he adapting to life in Scotland, having travelled over there in June this year. A tremendous story for me and a tremendous accolade, I'm sure, to have German on the show. This is Campbell's Footballs, the only podcast where bad predictions are cancelled out by good crack in association with Toby Johnson Music. Well, it's a pleasure for me this week to be joined on Campbell's Footballs by the current under-18s Motherwell manager, Jermud O'Carroll. Jermud, a very warm welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I just wanted to kind of kick-start this week's podcast by just wanting to know a little bit more about yourself, because many people listening to this won't know much about you. Yeah, um, well, obviously, as you said, I'm, I'm in the road at the minute at Motherwell, which is brilliant. Um, I played for a number of years as a professional and then a semi-professional in Northern Ireland then as well after that. Um, it started, I left Kerry, I was born in, in Kerry in the Republic of Ireland originally. Went over to, to Celtic at 16 for five years at the club. Um, moved on to Morecambe, Airdrie, um, Valor in Iceland and then I made my way back to, to Belfast then and played for, for six more years as a, as a semi-professional. Mm. before pursuing the, the coaching route on a full-time basis. Let's start off and talk a little bit about Celtic because you were in there at a time when they were UEFA Cup finalists, weren't they? And they very nearly bet Mourinho's Porto, of course. Yeah, I just literally came in. That summer that I came in, they were just in the final in um, in Portugal. Um, and just literally, I came in the door a few weeks later. So there was a little bit of disappointment, but obviously such a high from the run that they'd have as well like, I mean. mm-hmm. Were there any characters around the time that you were growing up in the academy because a really good squad around that time at Celtic of course Larson was there um, I think Sutton was still there wasn't he and, and maybe Hartson yeah. maybe was still there oh. Yeah no, all the big ones were there it was right in the right in the middle of Martin O'Neill's kind of dominance so you're talking all the all the big hitters Sutton, Larson, Hartson um, Obviously, Lennon, all those boys as well were there, and then you had Mialbi, Bobalde, all them, and, mm-hmm. um, and then you had the younger, the younger ones coming through, Sean Pony, John Kennedy, and obviously more so my kind of era. Then you had Aidan McGeady and Darren Bree and stuff like that as well. 
And some of these players obviously went on to have really good careers, obviously, like Larson and Sutton, but some of the Northern Irish guys that were in the team, or Irish guys in the team, like uh, you mentioned Aidan McGeady, you must have had some really good interactions with those guys over the years. Yeah, Aidan was a year above me, and obviously Aidan being a, a wide player and, and an attacker himself, he was obviously from day one as well. He was the, the huge talent of the academy. He was he was flying from a young age. You, you just knew he was destined to potentially even go on to have a, a higher career than he even had. Um, but he's huge, huge talent, like and a great lad. And as I said, he's a year above me. He obviously got fast tracked at different at different times as well. But yeah. but a good guy. I still have some interaction with him on social media and stuff. But a, a great lad. Yeah, and were there were there any sort of um, grinds in Scottish football at your time there that you went around and thought some really good stadium to be at? Uh, we were very lucky as a youth team squad. We actually played at Ibrox, so we, we played Celtic against Rangers in the semi final of the Youth Cup. Mm. Um, so we played at Ibrox as I think it was sixteen year olds possibly, um, and we were we were blessed because obviously it brought a bit of atmosphere, brought a big crowd. I think there was thirteen or fourteen thousand or something at the game, so it was um, fantastic to be able to be exposed to that. We were obviously lucky as well at Celtic Park from time to time to to get out and play on the on the, the hallowed turf, like do you know what I mean. So. Um, and we were blessed that way, but strangely, I'm not just saying it because I'm at Motherwell, but I actually had a very good record when I played for Fur Park. Um, mm. I scored, I remember scoring four goals in two games within a three or four day spell uh, when I was about 17, so it's just a funny one that you always look back on it now and just think, yeah, obviously, I obviously was always comfortable there, so um, just funny how it comes around, it's full circle, maybe 16 years later. You mentioned, uh, obviously, uh, the time, obviously, the UEFA Cup. Martin O'Neill was manager there. Did you have much interaction with Martin? A fantastic manager, of course, and a pretty good career as well. Yeah, no, he was fantastic. He was, he, as everyone who talks about Martin, he was a very quiet character. Um, he was mainly his assistant, and, and his, his coach did a lot of the talking, a lot of the interacting with the players, and, and Martin kind of just went about his business, but... No, that was probably as close as I was to uh, my first team at the time. When I, when I went straight in the door, I, I kind of ground running, did really well. So I had a little bit of interaction with them, trained quite rapidly. Um, and I'd been in and around it kind of thing with the with the, the other young lads at the time, even with Aiden as well, breaking through that way. Um, but, uh, but no, it was fantastic because obviously just watching those guys, even in training, it was, it was a, a different level. When people say that players have gone into an academy and a club like Celtic obviously would have a massive academy, how much doggy dog is it? Yeah, I think it's, it's even more so now. Obviously, I, I see it more now when there's friends of mine working at that level as well, and and um, and obviously it's a it's a very very competitive environment completely because you have you were there, you probably had a, a working squad within 18s of, of maybe 20, 22. I think now some of the old firm ones can look closer towards 40 players within mm. an age group. So it's uh, it's extremely competitive. And obviously people now in particular have the boot deals and they've everything. But even back then, you, every player in the squad was international. Every player was the best boy from their, from their boys club. They were highly rated. They were the the talent of their house and the, the next best thing but you kind of come back down to earth again because when you arrive in the door and there's people like Ed McGeady and Michael Gardine Sean Maloney Craig Beatty then these boys are ahead you think right we'll have a million miles from it do you mean? You mentioned Michael Gardine and that moves on really nicely to when you move to Ross County and of course Gardine a bit of a, a legend up in the Highlands what was, it, what was it like playing for County? Brilliant really really good experience for me um 
it was the right time for myself to get out and, and try and see what I was made of in terms of I was comfortable in the reserves for a few years. I'd done quite well. I had had an injury, come back from an injury. So it was a good time to go out and, and see what men's football was all about. Um, I went to live in Dingwall. Uh, was in a digs with six or seven of the boys as well and it was a young squad at the time like Michael Midge was a, was young at the time as well Paul Lawson there was different players who were up there in the, the time that I was up there as well mm. um, but it was fantastic it's great to see Midge has stayed on and become such a legend there I actually met him a few weeks ago when, when Ross County were down playing so he still has all the abilities he always had but he's um, he's had a fantastic career and fair play to him well, what's it like, obviously, because obviously Ross County, a team that, you know, are kind of not a proverbial big team. They're obviously out with the, the Glasgow teams, the Edinburgh teams that are kind of up there in the north. And are, do you feel that they're a team that are punching above their weight most seasons? Yeah, I think they've done brilliant. I think it's great to see them back in the Premier League. I think, obviously, when I went there and then for a couple of years, they had a little bit of yo-yo going on where they were up and down. But um, I firmly think now they'll, they'll start to establish themselves and really be a force um, very much like Inverness were for a couple of years and obviously Aberdeen have really kicked on and, yeah. and being one of the biggest clubs about but I think Ross County they have a good they have a good catchment area they have a good financial backing from the owner um, and it's a club run from top to bottom very very well um, I know there's players again from my time that have gone back into the youth team uh, Don Cowie to my knowledge has taken the 18s he was a a great player for them for years as well and he was there when I was there so it's a real family local club so mm. hopefully they can kick on now and establish themselves yeah, I'm going to name drop here a friend of mine, Alistair McIntosh, who's a big follower of the podcast. I went up to watch Ross County a couple of years ago, and sadly they lost against uh, Dundee. I think that was when Neil McCann was manager. Um, right. But it was—it's it, just a—it's a fantastic stadium, and I think the atmosphere is really, really good. And as you say, it's a family-run club, and it, I think it's just—I think it's just fantastic. It's a really good stadium to be at. What have you made of uh, the two Stuarts? Obviously, Carwell and Ferguson doing a. Uh, uh, a decent job there and a good win for them last night obviously against Hemsworth Cornus on Thursday of course yeah it was good I, I was looking forward to, to, to getting back on track because I know they were on a tough run they were maybe one win in, in probably 10 or something and they actually I think that actually came against us at Far Park but <laughs> um, it's, yeah, so uh, we, we gave them a little present that week but no uh, I think uh, I think Ross County as all my former teams always look out for, for the results but mm. it's uh, it's brilliant that the situation in the modern game to have have completely straight down the co-managers but from all the talk and everything you hear about the two of them um, they really balance each other really well the players enjoy the the fact that it's it's a slightly different kind of dynamic than your normal club and uh, it obviously works for them and, and long may it continue because they're two guys that are reasonably young in their coaching career and, and they're they're doing really well as I said I think it's only going to they'll probably build on last night's result and mm. try and push up towards middle table as they go on the season yeah I, I like seeing Ross County do well now as I said I think they're a good team I've got a bit of a soft spot for them and uh, I really wish them all the best now you then went, went from the world of Scotland down to Morecambe of all places why did you go to Morecambe just of interest um it was a strange one because again I had, had been at Celtic for long enough I'd, I'd seen out the U team days and the reserve days and when I was kind of I was doing well at the time but it was one of them once I was 21 there was no way I was going to break through with that age group um, as a striker so I needed to move you know something fresh there was talk St Mirren and a few clubs up here but when it came up it seemed like a, a logical vice league to um, go and play in the FA Cup go and play in the League Cup chance to play trophy um, it was a young squad, a local, a local club, a nice region. 
so it, when we went down there to meet them, it just felt right at the time. And and although I was only there a year, it's pro- probably the happiest I ever was as a professional. It was a fantastic year for me. And Interesting. Only the kind of maybe the arrogance, the cockiness of youth. I should have should have stayed for another year or two and, and tried to forge more of a career down there. Well, you didn't have a bad record when you were down there. Five goals and 29 appearances. That's pretty much one in six, which maybe could be better, of course, but as all strikers are, you just want to grab a goal or two, do you? Yeah, no, it was good. And of those 29 appearances, I think there was quite a few that were from the bench. So yeah. um, I think it was, uh, I was... I was delighted with what I'd done. And some of the goals had been big goals to get us points and stuff as well. Mm. So um, considering it was... Although I was at Ross County for, for half a season on loan, it was my real first... I was in the deep end in terms of senior football and there was a lot of experienced guys who've been around the block that you're playing with and playing mm. against so um, I really really enjoyed it and as I said it possibly I should have maybe kind of locked the head in a little bit more and thought I could be here for a couple of years and really establish myself as some of the boys went that year Barry Roach he's still there now he's a goalkeeper ever a great keeper as well 13, 14 years mm-hmm. um, he was actually in interim charge there until until Derek Adams got appointed. That's right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Former and then Neil Wainwright manager as well. I think. Yeah. As well. He's yeah. in the academy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Former county manager as well, Derek Adams. I forgot to mention earlier that I uh, that I blundered earlier on. It is uh, Stuart Cowell and Stephen Ferguson, not the two Stuarts as I mentioned earlier on. So bad mistake by me. Um, <laughs> so uh, I like calling that early doors. So if anybody is uh, wanting to ramble in. Please do not do that now. Um, let's uh, move on then. So you were a year at Morecambe, and then you went back up to Scotland to play for Airdrie. Yeah, uh, again, just something that came up. It was again, I left. I left Morecambe without anything firmly kind of lined up. Um, again, probably silly at the time that I was. I was keen just to move on and thought I've played thirty appearances, but I should be having thirty starts kind of thing. So. Um, but that's just the, you see that with young players now as well just yeah. eager and think that everything comes easy but um, I landed up here then and as it worked out a few of my friends who, who I knew from the game had been in at Airdrie and they, they were building a team at Airdrie and, and I went in did well when I when I played a couple of games and, and from there then although we, we actually ended up getting relegated it was a fantastic season for me I really really enjoyed it and a great bunch of lads um, and probably similar to the Ross County team they were just a couple of years maybe too young and inexperienced but you look at the, the names that were in it they went on to have decent careers in the end a lot of them so um, so yeah it was a shame but a, a very good experience yeah I was just reading this on, online here just now right in front of me here about the fact that I think that season the other went into well did they not go into administration they certainly had some financial problems around the time that you left in 2010 is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Right towards the end, there was a lot of uh, like even for example, if we had been in the playoffs at the time mm. to get um, to to stay up, the, the, our contract actually finished before the playoffs were going to be on, and, and there was things about would contracts be renewed or would contracts only be renewed to those who would start the game and, and things like that. There was all these rumours that happened. We didn't actually get in the playoffs in the end, so it didn't uh, didn't come to anything. But no, it's, it's and again, it's a club now that's obviously reformed and kind of went through a bit of a restructure over the last few years so hopefully they can kick on again and, and try and get themselves back up the leagues again because they have the facilities there as well in Airdrie at the minute. Yeah they've made a good start in League One, I was, I'll was be keeping an eye on their progress and maybe upsetting yeah. the apple cart because I think many tipped Falkirk and Wraith to do pretty well in that respective league. Yeah. Um, now let's dive in a little bit further here because you then moved to Valor in Iceland which to me seems... I, I can't see the connection there, so I'm in, I'm interested to know a little bit more about why you chose Iceland. 
starting to see a lot of uh, football players taking a chance and going away abroad to try different things. Obviously, Tony Watt has tried that. Uh, it used to be a, yeah. obviously at Celtic and Gary McKay-Steven, who was, I was watching last night on uh, um, Sky Sports coverage for the Rangers game. He was, uh, of course, in New York. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah. inter it's interesting to see people trying different things in their careers. And I think it's happening more and more now, personally. Yeah, and I think why not? Because at the end of the day, in particular, if someone's not starting every week for, for Celtic and, mm. and 21 or whatever in the prime of their career and they're thinking right well the next step is the Premier League or somewhere if you're, if you're jumping around the, the middling clubs or the, the lower league clubs and stuff and you get an opportunity to, to have a life experience as well as anything else then I think why not um, yeah. as I said to, to get the opportunity to live in Iceland people go and I think it's on their bucket list to go to Iceland for a weekend and, and to live there for three or four months is it's a unique experience and one you can always remember and, and talk about like, you know what I mean it's on my list that's for sure because it's uh, yeah. you know, a fantastic country right now we're into really the sort of meat of your career now Jeremy because you then went back to Northern Ireland and you then started uh, a fantastic end to your career starting at the Lurgan Blues Glenavon yeah yeah and it was a strange one and I've said this a few times I went to Glenavon through a the owner of the club was actually a, a colleague of my brother-in-law um, <laughs> through legal work. So he's a solicitor and the owner was a barrister. But I kind of, I'd mentioned I, I was a little, little bit disillusioned with the game at the time. And, and um, when I was even leaving Iceland, I still wasn't 100% sure whether I wanted to play. But mm. I got the option, got the offer to do it. And, and, and I, I went for it one year contract. And to be honest, I don't think I ever ever really performed like I could I had a couple of good games and, and scored some goals at times but it was, a, it was a tough period for me mentally coming back out of the professional game I was still finding my feet and it was a, it was a challenge but, but I have no way of feeling towards the club and still when I go back I get welcomed back by the board and, and the fans as well It's funny you mention about mental health because more and more now we're seeing a lot of these uh, you know things coming out in the media about people struggling with their game and the one that comes to my mind is Lee Griffiths who you know is Ha yeah. Has such a good career at Hibs and, and obviously latterly at Celtic, and you know he's just been having a stop-start career this last sort of year and a bit because of his, uh, you know, his mental health problems, and it, it's 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 really really sad to see that because he's a fantastic player. It's, uh, do you think that's yeah, happening? Uh, more, do you think it's happening more and more now? Well, I think I think it's not. It's just not. It's, it's underestimated so much. I think the mainstream 
football has always been right well medically how is he physically how is he um and then obviously the tough love element of of the of the the coaching and the, the demeanor of coaches and stuff has changed slightly but you still need to look now people are a lot more complex than they used to be there's a lot more mm-hmm. a lot more pressures in terms of appearance and standards and everything you do is, is videoed or recorded and um, I think there's huge pressure now mentally on the players and, and although it was a, a different era I, I really struggled personally in terms of being able to turn the switch off from, from the, the playing side and if I had a bad training session or a bad game that could be me for a couple of weeks or a month um, uh-huh. and it would just affect everything it just made us made the experience of being a professional footballer not enjoyable anymore and, but did that and also, then even though but did that also show uh, your passion for it as well that you were determined to get better yeah and, and it's something that my wife now always says it's I'm a perfectionist in what I do I like to I don't. I compete myself. Like I don't like to 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 fail. I don't like to not be perfect in everything. And even yeah. now, if I put on a training session, I'll still look for perfection, and, and there is no perfection yeah. in a, in a variable game like football. It's funny you mention that because this just sounds like I'm speaking to myself almost because I'm exactly like this as well. I was just having a look in front of me here that you actually scored a double hat trick in an Iron Brew Cup match in 2011, which uh, is very rare to do in any game. In any game, six goals. Yeah, so it was, it was a good one. It was a, it was a, as you said, Armbrew game. It was um, early rounds against one of the lower league teams, but it, all those nights, you, even the scores, everything you literally hit goes in. So um, it was, it was fantastic. I think it was some it broke kind of fifty or sixty year old record or something. So, um, so it was, it was brilliant. It was fantastic. It's probably the highlight of my don't have time to be honest, because as I said, it was a wee bit stop start. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think of other players who've maybe scored a double hat trick in a game, and I can think of many people who've scored five, but not six. So fair play to you on that one. Um, yeah. Then you really entered the the highlights of your career because you then signed for Cliftonville in 2012. Yeah, and that was and again. I go back a half back maybe to mental health and and my mentality on the game, but it it was a time where towards the end of, of my career at Avon, a coach called Packy McAllister was there and he kind of gave me the, the kick up the behind that I needed and, and he kind of said what are you doing like you're wasting you're wasting the rest of your career kind of thing so um, Packy had a link then from being a former player at Cliftonville and from there it just it just seemed to fit and as soon as I got in the door I just thought this is this is for me this is brilliant and I was blessed that I was there at a time where we probably had one of the, the best squads that the, the league had yep. seen in, in many a year yeah and I was just going to come on to that because to play alongside players like Joe Gormley who is still scoring goals in the Irish League and Liam Boyce who is having a fabulous career at the moment in England that must have been something else I would have thought yeah no, fantastic the boys the boys have always been brilliant and two nicer fellas you wouldn't come across as well and that's the thing um, Boyce in particular has gone on and really kicked on his career he's, he's a force at international level and as I said he's flying at Burton mm. after being Top goal scorer in the NFL, of course, at Ross County as well. So, um, no, it was fantastic, great experience. But as, as a striker, those two kept me out of the team quite a bit. But yeah. it was uh, it was fantastic for me. And Joe was young at the time as well, so I felt like able to teach Joe some little bits and uh, his game was more as well. I love his nickname when they call him Joe the Goal. He just cannot stop scoring goals. He's just an Irish League legend. Um, yeah. Over your time at Cliftonville, back-to-back League Cup and titles. Um, and managed by Tommy Breslin, the late Tommy Breslin, who is a powerhouse of Northern Irish League football. 
Yeah, it's such a tragedy. Like I was really actually, sad. I was in America at the time when it, when it, when he passed away suddenly and on holiday. But um, like a tragic thing to happen, and the, the, it's in many ways very similar to the, the reaction to when Tommy Burns, the, again a coach yeah. I had way back when as well, an inspiration for me when mm. he passed away. So just universally liked, universally respected, universally liked, and and um, nobody, literally nobody, had a bad word to say about about the man, about Tommy as well. But um, no, it was such a such a shame. And I was, as I said, I was away at the time, so I couldn't make the funeral and stuff. Mm. Um, by all accounts, it was, a, it was a fitting tribute to a fantastic man. What kind of mark has he left on Northern Irish football? Because as you mentioned, he just seems like a guy who just pleased everybody and was just uh, an uh, actual lit up a room yeah well it's, I think you're always you look at the likes of Ferguson and all these other coaches and you think about the um, their players that go on to managers and coaches and stuff and I think that's a sign straight away you look, look at the squad that we had and doing a bit of coaching and, and then you also have uh, Barry Johnson is, is managing as well you have uh, Avon Tadek was involved with Ernest for a good few years Barry Holland has done the best um, Kieran Caldwell so already there's a lot of the players involved there who are trying to kick on and become managers and become coaches in their own right and everyone hops back to, to what that one thing that they've learned from from Brezzy whether it be off the pitch or on it yeah um, I'll be obviously his um, his lasting legacy is the fact that he just lit up a room whether it be a football or just on a laugh yeah yeah during your time at Cliftonville I was just thinking about connections and obviously you got the opportunity to play Celtic in the uh, was it the Champions League or the UEFA Cup I think it may have been the latter yeah no it was the Champions League uh, it was the Champions League what's we Champions League what's Champions League yeah early qualifying rounds of the Champions League so um, fantastic occasion for for obviously a, a club that's so very much linked with Celtic as well um, but to go to Celtic Park I think it was about 8,000 or 37,000 or something at Celtic Park yeah. we kept we, we were respectable we, we got the ball about at times as well and considering there was fellas that we were all working part time as well so it was a, a fantastic experience and for me really nice to kind of full circle my career because I was I think I was late 20s or something at the time so yeah. it was uh, fantastic to go back and there were still a few bodies that I'd, I'd known in the, the staff and stuff on site as well I was looking at the YouTube video of that just before we came on the podcast and just the atmosphere at Solitude just seemed fantastic I was listening to Michael McNamee's commentary with Chris Morgan I think it was and it just seemed like it was just you could you could feel the atmosphere just sitting watching it on looking at the computer here it was just fantastic Even yeah then. No, it was brilliant brilliant and we they put up temporary stands it was a real kind of an atmosphere obviously we knew it was going to be difficult but um, probably the difference of that squad at the time as well we feared nobody um, for about 20 minutes at the start we were actually thinking Do you know what we've had a chance here but I think it was Chris Commons or Samaras or someone dropped the shoulder and put it in the top corner so yeah. that was the bubble burst but it was uh, it was fantastic and, and one thing that people in that squad will never forget and it's a real it's a real stamp of approval a real positive for the Irish League that you can compete in Europe and have these experiences Did you get anybody shirt after the games? Uh, I didn't in the first game but I did I got F.A. Ambrose in the second game he was the guy I was directly up against Interesting um, a, a player that was never really rated by fans but tell you what he was strong quick good in the air he, Picked a lot of boxes. He, I, I had a lot of respect for him on the day. Um, you couldn't get any of the other ones, Scott Brown and all them, because I think some of the boys just chased him around for the, t- uh, for the whole <laughs> ninety minutes, asking him for their jersey. 
Yeah. The funny you mention about Ambrose, because he's helped my uh, current team Aberdeen uh, quite a lot in a few matches with a couple of uh, errors, but uh, let's not go there. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, exactly. Okay, so you had a fantastic time at Cliftonville, back-to-back League Cups and League Tails, and then you go to Crusaders and do exactly the same, which I find quite amazing, really. Yeah, no, I was, someone said I was a lucky charm, but it was, uh, I think I was just fantastic timing and I landed with two different, two very different managers, but two very good managers. Um, and when I went to Crusaders, the, there had been a lot of nearly times before then, um, and it, it just came together, it just gelled properly, and we went on a fantastic run, and again, a fantastic club, a fantastic setup, and a really good balance squad as well. Now, I've done a podcast earlier this year with the guys from the uh, Irish League Waffle podcast, and they asked me to give you a question, Jeremy. What like was the stick from Cliftonville fans when you moving to Crusaders? Was there a bit of banter there? Was it a little bit distasteful? What was it like? No, it was, it was actually very strange. I still have such a fantastic like rapport with the, with the Cliftonville fans, and and I never, I actually lived directly in between the two the two grounds as well. They're only a few <laughs> miles apart, and, and I live literally one store from both of them. So um, I couldn't have a bad a bad rapport with them because I'd meet them every day in Tesco or in Asda or somewhere. So, um, but no, they were actually brilliant with me because I think they re- they recognised at the time that Boise and Joe were both playing. They were the main strikers, and, yeah. and it was a case of that I knew I was coming like in the latter ages of my career, and I had the opportunity to, to make a move. And I think they all wished me well. Obviously, when they hear then I go across across town to to their rivals, there was maybe less love towards me. Yeah. But um, but I was so blessed. I, I never had a, a bad word really said to me from from Cliftonville fans, and even now when I go back, it's it's always the positives, not the not the Crusaders element. It's always the positive times that people remember. You mentioned that you got managed, obviously, obviously with Tommy Breslin at Cliftonville. But when you moved to Crusaders, you got under the ownership with Stephen Baxter. What is he like as a manager? Because he just, he just gives off that uh, fantastic charm every time I see him on the Irish League highlights when he's getting interviewed by the media. He just seems like he loves football. Yeah, a class act as well. And again, the style of play that both play were very different, but the, how they treated players and the respect for players and the fact that they had a real joy and a real passion for the game, very similar. But um, no, I, I would never say a bad word about Stephen. He's, he was fantastic for me as a player and then also in my transition into, into becoming a, a coach, obviously he approached me to become the academy manager when I had... I had hung up the boots mm. um, and, and so I walked alongside him I was part of his team then for a couple of seasons so it was um, it was fantastic to see how he walked behind the scenes as well and, and I learned an awful lot from him he's a, he's a person I would pick up the phone and ask for advice in the morning if I needed it Awesome and you obviously did the back-to-back tales 2014-15 2015-16 in terms of players that were around that time who were the highlights? Uh, for Crusaders or Clinton? For Crusaders Crusaders well obviously everyone everyone would talk about Gavin White um, obviously Gavin's gone on to, to be fantastic and, and, and really I think he's only going to keep getting better he was the only one I actually ever recommended to an English club I actually called a, a former coach of mine who was the head of recruitment at Celtic and recommended him and what? they looked and came very closely to, to putting a bid in but in the end thought oh, he's too small maybe it'll come to nothing and I think two years later he was bought for two million by Cardiff so mm. um but uh, he, he's fantastic and then some very underrated players BJ, BJ Burns very underrated um, Michael Carvel 
Sean O'Neill and Coates and then obviously uh, Heatley and, and Jordan Owens are fantastic as well yeah I, I love he watching does. Heatley I think he's fantastic and more latterly Cushley, David Cushley's fantastic towards well he doesn't score easy goals does he, he just scores thunderbolts and what looks no, he, he refuses to he refuses to score a tapping coach <laughs> A thirty-yard volley off balance when you should never, never have a chance. So, um, no, but Heatley, fantastic. He's he's what you'd call a very he's an uncoached player. He's like you don't know what he's going to do, and sometimes you, you worry he knows himself. But he's yeah. just he scores some absolute belters yeah. and, and a huge talent. Yeah. So Cliftonville and Crusaders, two big clubs. Now I'm going to put you on the spot here. Was there one that stood out in terms of your time at both clubs? Because obviously you done quite a lot there or is there not are they of, good in different ways maybe as in a game or in, in general just in, just in general your time at the clubs um, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't say one over the other to be honest uh, I obviously had a fantastic rapport with, with the playing staff with the coaching staff with the both the both clubs probably because uh, I ended my career at Crusaders and I ended up on the staff it, it maybe makes me think sometimes I have a closer relationship because there's still so many of the staff and the players there and, and it's, it's a little bit further on since I was a, a Clippenbill player but um, but no, both are fantastic and, and actually very close and very similar in a lot of ways because the, the two chairmen when I made the move they a very close relationship and they used to share a lot of knowledge between each other so um, I'll sit firmly on the fence I think and <laughs> I think that's a good answer personally and yeah. uh, I, I didn't influence that question oh well maybe I did but well, well. Yeah. Um, okay next question is actually on to football grinds actually uh, Mo Ruddy who's a big uh, follower of my show asks you for your poorest or worst ground that you've experienced now that could be in terms of the fan atmosphere or just in terms of the fact that it maybe wasn't high up your list or do you have one maybe? um it's funny one one does come to mind although i actually scored a couple of goals there um and it was lisburn distillery's ground um <laughs> the, the race the, with the racetrack around it whenever we seemed to play there it seemed to be miserable um <laughs> And it was always the, the the grass was always a bit fluffy. The wind was always blowing. The, the rain was always coming down. The team booted you up in the air, so it was always. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe it's harsh on distillery, but it was always a club that I always came to my mind. If I, I'd never like to play there as a home player, basically. Yeah. In terms of the the grounds you played at, obviously you played at Seaview, Solitude, um, were in view. Some big grounds in the Northern Irish League. Were they the best, or was you know going to Windsor the pinnacle? I think Windsor. I, I'm I'm disappointed. I, I obviously played at Windsor when it was being done, but I never got to play there when it's now finished. But mm. I think Windsor always brought that little bit of razzmatazz, a little bit of atmosphere. Um, the crowds were always bigger. Like there was maybe, especially when you're clipping Linfield, there was always a kind of feisty atmosphere as well and, and then when you play there in cup finals and stuff some of our best memories obviously winning the, the first league cup with, with Clevenville was fantastic and in Windsor with a big crowd it was it was a, a fantastic night so I'd probably say Windsor and I think most people would because yeah. it makes you feel like a professional again yeah I was just having a look at your uh, international play you played for under 21s but nothing really continued on from that no, I played a few times, yeah, I played two or three times for the 21s after playing at every level, basically, and they were all the way up from, from under 13 to 14, mm -hmm. um, but it's one of those ones that in particular at the time, 
the senior team was, was was doing really well and I think even now to get in the senior international team you've got to be you've got to be performing at club level you've got to be playing pretty regularly or semi-regularly yeah. in the first team yeah. um, and and that's probably where my career then hit a little bit of a, a brick wall where when I went to Morecambe although I was playing yeah. to play uh, to play for the Irish first team as a League 2 player um, would be would be unusual um, and mm. then I had players like Adam Rooney and a few more boys that were were doing really, really well ahead of me at the time so uh, and Shane Long obviously as well coming yeah. through at that time too I love the name drop of Adam Rooney one of my favourite Aberdeen players and of course he used to live in my town actually before he moved to Salford uh, not too long ago so Adam if you're listening to the yeah. podcast a bit of a shout out to you again man um, so after your um, fabulous career chairman you uh, obviously said hung up the boots and then went on to coach Glentoran women is that correct? Yeah yeah uh, actually before that before I even took the what we're still playing I took a Crusaders women's team as well Crusaders mm. Strikers I took them oh, for right. a year and a half mm-hmm. as well so um, so I've actually taken two of the Premier League teams in, in the women's so fantastic experience and one, I, one I'd recommend for any coach going through their badges and, and passionate about the game and and wanting to get involved because um, women, as as women in any walk of life, they don't they don't uh, they don't like they don't like any kind of skirting around the truth, and they they like to be taught and, and told mm. something properly. And if if you're talking rubbish, they'll tell you quickly enough. So <laughs> um, they expect a certain standard is probably the best way of putting it. And and the girls, I was lucky that to coach a lot of international players and international captain at the time of Crusaders and. So it was a fantastic experience for me as a as a B license and, a, and a just getting qualified A license coach as well. Um, yeah. So it's one that I'd recommend for anybody. And even if your your level and knowledge of the women's game is is poor, I would take it involved. Yeah, I noticed Glen Torren women were playing. I think it was Linfield in the Irish Women's Cup final recently, which Michael Clark was on commentary for former um, guest on my show. And if you're listening, Michael, a bit of a shout out to you. And uh, I think I finished one 0 to Glen Torren, if I remember correctly as well. So I think women's yeah. football. Personally, and I don't know if you agree with this, Jeremy, but I think women's football is certainly getting more appreciated and respected, um, especially since the Women's World Cup this year, I think. Yeah, it's on the rise, and, and rightly so. And you see even now, with, there's a lot, a lot more young girls playing. It's not... I think when I even when I was growing up, it was maybe more of a taboo for some reason. They, they didn't maybe... They didn't maybe play as many sports, as many physical sports, but, um, but not... Like, even from a young age, my sister was, was a very good... Uh, what we'd say, soccer player in Kerry. She was she was brilliant, um, and so I've always kind of thought, well, they can play as well. Leave them at it. And um, so when I got the opportunity to coach them as, as seniors and, and and put my own stamp on it, it was a uh, it was a perfect opportunity for me. Let's talk about um, current times. You're now the under 18s boss at Motherwell. What is that like yep. coming back to Scotland? Um, fantastic. Uh, it's, it's something that I I jumped at because I was in a. Um, it was a perfect opportunity basically a good friend of mine was leaving the role as well and, and heading on to Celtic so um, I was able to to see the everything that was happening behind the scenes to understand it and then also I knew I'd be working with some, some top class coaches um, and that's you can do all the courses in the world you can do all the qualifications in the world but it's time on the grass and learning from people who've been there and, and can do it at the top level that's what I was I was most attracted to as well as obviously a fantastic club and a, and a proven academy and Motherwell having a really good season at the moment under the uh, reins of Stephen Robinson are you surprised or maybe not surprised that he's being linked to take over from Michael O'Neill when he leaves the Northern Ireland setup? No I don't think so and I think it um, I think they'd be mad not to consider 
to, to consider the manager because he would be he, my choice. Be sorry. He would be my choice for the job personally, um, Robinson. Yeah, I think he's been I fantastic. Think, I think it's, it's not. I, I would hate to see him leave, and I would hate to see him oh, ever absolutely. even even anything to do with us. I, I love working with him day to day. It gives me fantastic access, and and um, and it's helped me out no, no end. But uh, I think yeah, he's he's a logical favourite for the job, and it's just a judgment call then whether obviously they they approach him and whether it's a time where where he wants to stay in club management or maybe consider the international stuff, but. Mm. Um, um, he's fantastic in everything he does. He's he's as good as I've seen, and I I knew from his reputation when he was assistant and even worked with the Irish FA previously. He's he's known as a fantastic coach, and, yeah. and that's probably all I aspire to be. Um, yeah. Is is known and, and and respected in the same way that he is. And in terms of Motherwell legends, have you been working or had any connections with Stephen Cragen when you've been at Motherwell? Uh, Craig's actually just he, he had left the club so he was in he's been in a few times since um, since I've come in so he doesn't work here directly anymore but he uh, he's in quite a bit he's obviously a very good relationship with most of the staff but yeah. in particular the manager um, and he's, he's back during commentary quite regularly mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he was uh, I spotted him at the game actually watching last night and then he was also at our game on Saturday doing the commentary so yeah um, you come across him from time to time, and, he, and he's, a, he's a great lad. He's always been he's been brilliant with me whenever I've met him, even previously back in Northern Ireland as well. What is your vision as a coach at the moment? Because you're where you are right now. Where do you sort of see yourself going in the next three, four, five years time? It's, it's a strange one. It's a tough one. I, I, I was asked this when I actually sat down to, to interview for the job. Um, it was a case of where do you see yourself and what's the ambition and. My ambition is to, to get to the very top of the game and to, and to obviously excel and, and to, to keep pushing on in my career. But whether that be as a coach, a U-team coach, and a manager or a manager, I, I don't know yet, to be honest. I, I can't I can't put my finger on it. Because, mm. And I don't think you can bluff it. I think there's, certain, there's very few people that are fantastic as coaches that can just transition straight into being a fantastic manager. Um, mm. They're very much just a different skill set in a lot of ways. And... And uh, a good colleague of, uh, of mine, actually, Morris Ross, was doing a, a different podcast during the week, and, and he referred to people staying in their lane, basically, in, in the same way as a player, knowing that they're able to play a five-yard pass, but they can't play a 30-yard pass. Yeah. Um, it's the same idea. So I would say if you, if I was betting at the minute, would it be a first-team manager at this kind of level? Mm. Possibly not, but... Um, but um, who knows? I'm only 32. Uh, I, I joke and say I'm 12 years behind the manager. So um, maybe as I as I progress and mature and, and get more experience, then it might be something that I'd love to jump at in, in the long run. And my last question before we move on to my predictions part of my podcast: Is there one defining moment in your career to date that you say, "I wish I could go back in a heartbeat"? Um, oh, that's a tough one. Um, uh, not necessarily. No, I, I don't like living. With, I don't. I don't live with any regrets whatsoever. Um, I think I, I've owned everything that I've I've done. Um, yeah. I think a lot of the mistakes or a lot of the, the maybe missteps I've taken as a younger player were were due to my mentality and, and probably a weaker weaker mindset. But um, I'd probably go back like now as a coach. I very much mold myself on can I be Tommy Burns? Can I can I be as good as him? As respected as him? Mm. As qualified as him? As fun, lovable as him but I would probably go back to some of my last experiences with Tommy probably before I left the club because unfortunately he passed away not too long afterwards so yeah. I'd go back to him and maybe just pick his a little more and give him a, bit, a little bit more love that, 
towards the end of my time there. Maybe, maybe I didn't. So, um, but yeah, that'll probably be the one thing I would say. Awesome. Well, I think that's been a fantastic insight to your career, Jeremy, and I, I really enjoyed that, and I hope my listeners enjoyed that as well. Now it's time for my favourite part of the show, where my guest and I will pit our wits against each other to see who comes up on top in Statos Predictions. Now, Jeremy, I have won six in a row after beating the Connors Key Nomads manager Andy Morrison last week. In fact, the last man to beat me was Lisburn's 98FM own Michael Clark as well. So uh, there's a bit of no, pressure. No better man. There's no a better bit of, man to beat you. There's a bit of, of And you know this, and I keep angling about him on Twitter about it because two penalties uh, won it for him, or rather lost it for me because I think Ryan Curran missed one for Cliftonville in that game with Institute, and Sam yep. Cosgrove scored a penalty for my team. Uh, Aberdeen against Livingston to win 2-0 and 1-0 so um, yeah, yeah. See, Mike is that good he can predict the future that way he knows he's talking about <laughs> he, he loves having a wee elbow me about on social media still to this day so um, see if you can uh, match him or indeed even beat him and myself Sounds obviously good. Uh, this week. So let's start with the English Premiership games. Uh, we'll start off with Everton, who of course have just lost Marco Silva in the last few minutes, uh, playing Chelsea. Um, you'd, uh, you want the score? Give me a scoreline. Scoreline? Uh, I would probably say... 3-1 Chelsea yeah I'm going to go 2-1 Chelsea I, I think this is uh, I think this is a good time for Chelsea to play Everton they're on the ropes at the moment who are they going to get that's going to be very very interesting I think they need someone who's going to keep them up someone like a yeah. Sean Dyche or a Sam Allardyce someone like that to you, keep them up you, surely to God they should be looking at Sean Dyche and Eddie, Eddie Howe potentially mm. but it's, it's whether they're fashionable enough yeah. I think for, for foreign owners is the yeah. problem yeah, Dice would be my choice every day of the week. Uh, next up is Bournemouth against the runaway leaders, Liverpool. Um, I'm going to drop a grenade and say... I'm going to say two each. Interesting. It's score draw 2-2. Yeah. I'm going to go 3-1 Liverpool. Uh, I watched their game with Everton last night and they were really, really ruthless, Liverpool. And uh, Bournemouth are on a bit of a poor run at the moment. I think they've lost their last four games, so they could do with the result. But I fancy Liverpool with too much firepower, 3-1. Next up is Spurs and Mourinho fresh from his Manchester beating. Ha-ha, as a, I'm a United fan as well. Uh, against Burnley. Sorry for any Spurs fans hearing me laughing at that one. <laughs> Um, I would have to fancy Spurs because it's at home. Um, yeah. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say to bounce back. I'm going to say they'll go and score a few. I'll go three one again. I'm going to go three 0 I can't really see Burnley scoring away from home, and uh, Spurs are playing a minus that United result actually quite well. Delhi Ali, I think, has been reborn under Jose, so uh, I fancy him. Yeah, to get he's, not his, he's not his brother anymore. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. It was a fantastic quote. That. Next up is Watford against Crystal Palace, who won with 10 men, of course, on Tuesday night. I don't think that'll be one for the spectators, that one, but um, you'd have to imagine. I, I think Watford, are, they seem like a mess, and I know they've got away with man changing mm. their manager so much in the past, but I think they're going to, today they should catch them, and I think Palace will win that 2-0. 2-0 Palace I'm going 2-1 Palace in that one um, who do you think will get that Watford job Jeremy because again Chris Hewton being linked maybe would he do a good job to keep them up I think he'd be fantastic but again if you're looking at it from Chris Hewton's point of view they only seem to appoint people on nine year long contracts and they seem to get rid of whatever they <laughs> yeah. fancy so it doesn't seem like an established manager would want this um, yeah. but maybe maybe to get back in the Premier League maybe he would take the punt and Roy Hodgson just continues to make Palace such a solid team. 
Yeah, a very underrated manager. And, and to be fair, when I look at him, I kind of guy you can't imagine motivating many people, but maybe just create a, a nice atmosphere for players to go and enjoy themselves and express themselves. So it's doing fantastic. Now, next up, and I'm going to be watching this in a pub in Montrose on Saturday night. Man City against Man United. Oh, I think I think Man City. I think Man City will possibly go and put out a bit of a ball, which could be pressure for Ole going into the uh, January. So maybe three 0 Man City. Yeah, I'm going three one City. I know United had a good win uh, on Wednesday against Spurs, but this is a tough game for Ole. I really want it to work for him, but I just think this is the sort of game that City will want to put out a statement to say we're not giving up our title. And I think no. Next up is the Sounds Sunday good. games. Villa against Leicester is the first one. Oh, Leicester are fantastic to watch at the minute. They so, certainly are. But I, I, again, you're looking at them thinking eventually they'll slip up. But um, yeah, go on. I'll go for a draw. I'll go for one each, maybe. That's interesting because I was nearly changing my own prediction when you said that. But I'm going to go Leicester to win 2-1. I just think they might just sneak it with a goal from a former Aberdeen player, James Madison, who I think has been fantastic for them this season. So I'm going to go 2-1 was, was, was he at Aberdeen? I yeah, he was that. at Aberdeen for a, for half a season. Famous for scoring a fabulous free kick against Rangers. <laughs> which I still oh maintain is one of my favourite Aberdeen goals of my time watching I the Dolls. I didn't know that, no. Yeah, yeah. That. Next up is Newcastle against Southampton, who've hit a bit of a surge in recent weeks. Yeah, it's a tough one, Newcastle. Maybe at home, I always had a soft spot for Newcastle, because my favourite player when I was a kid was Alan Shearer. But, mm. um, yeah, I'd say 1-0, Newcastle. Yeah, I'm going to go Newcastle to win here as well. I think they've got a sneaky feeling they'll get three points this weekend. I'm going to go 2-0. Uh, Newcastle on that one. Now, the next up is the two, well, two of the three promoted teams, Norwich and Sheffield United. Um, Sheffield United obviously have been sensational this year. They have been. The overlapping centre halves and, and different things that they're doing tactically, but um, I think they'll, they'll, probably, they'll probably go and do it again, maybe 1 0. 1 0 Sheffield United. I'm going to go score draw here. I'm going to go 1 1. I thought Norwich were a little bit unlucky not to get someone against Southampton last night. Obviously, Sheffield United playing just now. Uh, against Newcastle don't know the score and I'm not wanting to look at it while I'm doing the podcast um, I'm going to go 1-1 one, one in that one next up is Brighton against Wolves I think it's Wolves I, I get fantastic odds on these bets that I'm putting on because it seems to be going with the away team but um, Wolves again for me just have, have far too much so I would fancy Wolves 2-1 I'm going to go 2-0 Wolves I think Wolves have been a, re a revelation in recent weeks and considering they've been in the Europa League as well you know what a season uh, Nuno is uh, doing at that team and I really like watching Wolves I like watching Brighton as well but I just think Wolves will have too much and I think they'll win 2-0 now yeah. Monday night should be interesting uh, two sides who love conceding goals West Ham and Arsenal oh I, for my for my sins I grew up an Arsenal fan uh, <laughs> but, but I grew up a I grew up a boring, boring Arsenal fan and, and lived through the fantastic years of Burkamp and Henri, but oh, this team is an absolute disaster. And, and I don't think Freddie Lundberg's the man to turn it around. Mm. So um, I'd say 
two each. I've got two each as well. <laughs> oh, nice. I talked into it there. So uh, I think there'll be quite a few goals. It's funny you mention about Arsenal because I'm pretty sure Philip Lowry at Crusaders is an Arsenal fan because I was following him he on is, Twitter. Yeah, he is, and yeah. I was just having a look at some of his tweets and quite a few of the, the monkey emojis with the, the hands over the faces being used quite a lot. So, uh, yeah. yeah, not good. No, Philip, if you're listening, I didn't with the Philly, but it is. I can see it always on his, uh, his Twitter. He always seems to be straight on it like me when, whenever Arsenal are traditionally not defending very well and different things. Well, it's always the same with football fans, isn't it? I mean, I'm like that about Aberdeen. Um, next yeah. up, we're moving into the Scottish League. Um, four games in the Premiership and, of course, the Betfred Cup finals, of course, of the weekend. So let's start, Jermot, with Hamilton St. Mirren. A real bottom-of-the-table clash in this one. Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, obviously, we played St. Mirren last night at home in, mm. in, uh, in Paisley. But, and to be honest, they started quite sharp, but they... They fell away once we once we hit the hit the net. It was so a really ruthless performance actually, from Motherwell last night. What was that? Sorry, I'm saying a really ruthless performance from you guys last night. Yeah, the last two games, even though we probably still haven't hit full full flow in the last couple of games, we've scored seven without conceding. So mm. it's been it's long, long may continue if you're if you're not hitting the full flow and you're and you're winning with clean sheets. But yeah, um, I'll go. I think I'm going to go for Hamilton. I think Hamilton have a bit more about them in terms of their harder to beat and a bit more mm. dogged so I'm going to say 1-0 I'm in total agreement with everything you said and let's move on because I've also gone 1-0 as well um, next up is my team Aberdeen away to Hibs oh it's a tough one it's um, a tough one I'll go I'll go each draw one each one each. One each. Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go against my team. I'm gonna go Hibs to win this one. Um, which is which is gonna be like a tin hat. Me wearing my tin hat. With people listening to this, but I thought Hibs. I couldn't believe they lost last night at Ross County. They were in so much control from what I heard, and then they ended up losing the game two one. But I don't think Aberdeen could get away with playing so badly as they did in the first half against Rangers last night and and not come away with something. I just think Hibs will come up with a win. And uh, Aberdeen have been unbeaten since Cormac. Park open, which was a great start I saw on Twitter earlier today. Uh, but I'm going to go two 0 Hibs. Next oh, up, right. next up, Livingston Kilmarnock. Livingston Kilmarnock. Um, tight I'm game here, I think. What is it? Sorry, I'm saying tight game in this one. I think. Yeah, no, I think so. I think I'll go. Although I think Livingston's they will drop away as the season goes. I think it'll be one each. Yeah, Livingston have been on a poor run. Haven't won since that game against Celtic on the 6th of October. and I don't think they're going to win here. I'm going to go 1-1 as well. Um, I, I, I just think Kilmarnock are a very solid outfit and don't see many goals. Um, Livingston don't score a lot of goals and that's a little bit of a concern for me about them. And okay, They were very close to picking up a win down at Tynecastle last night, but it didn't quite work out for them, so I'm going to go 1-1. Yeah. Now, finally up is your team. A home to hearts who are in a real pickle at the moment. Yeah, and it's, it's a strange one because obviously in today we're preparing for the game and it's not that long ago since we played Hearts at Tynecastle, but they're obviously in a tough run So and we're we're doing well. I, I do fancy us again to, to pull off a, a result and hopefully get a third win in the week. So I'm going to say it'll be closer. I'm going to say 2-1. I'm going to go 2-0 Motherwell um, I, I, Not because you're on But I actually I'll, general... that. I'll take that all day <laughs> I was actually going to go a Motherwell win I've been really impressed with Motherwell this season They're my um, dark horse to finish 
best of the rest behind the old firm. Um, I really like a lot of the young players. The blend of quality in that midfield is fantastic to watch. Um, really yeah, like. Uh, no, it's been it's been brilliant. Liam, uh, Liam Polworth and, yeah. and Liam Donnelly and, and Alan Campbell have been fantastic in particular. The yeah. three of them. The like young, especially with David Balotan injured as well. Yeah, the young guy Scott last night I thought was sensational as well, and I, I just love yeah. that that blend, and I think it's just a revelation to watch. In fact, I actually watched Motherwell early in the season against Celtic, and although they lost, I think it was five two. You know, it was yeah. a really good performance they put in, and Celtic were just uh, ruthless that day, but. It's funny you mentioned James James Scott's a real talent He's one to look out for mm. He's been a little bit inconsistent But last night shows you the ability he has To go left or right And, and it won't be the last goals he'll score this, this season I wouldn't imagine I'm going to deliberately leave the Betfred Cup final till last So let's move into the Northern Irish Leagues Because uh, obviously big follower of the show um, Carrick against Institute is first up First of all what have you made of both of these teams Because both picked up great results last weekend yeah, I think Carrick in particular, Carrick are one, they just always seem to punch above their weight and they, they always seem to, they're not a fashionable club in that way and, and you look at them and think, you know what, they'll be they'll be rolled over but it's a tough place to go Carrick and, and they always seem to dig out results and mm. the manager knows the league, knows the players and, and he, he's done a fantastic job and they're rightly competitive at the minute so yeah. fair play to them. Yeah. And the Institute obviously as well have done brilliant and, yeah. and they're a bit more of a... Uh, a stylish blend of football after Paddy leaving and, and the manager coming in but I think it'll be an interesting one um, if it's at Carrick I would say I fancy Carrick oh, I'll say, say Carrick win 1-0 1-0 I'm also going for a Carrick win but I'm also I'm going to go 2-1 in this one I think it'll be a really good game um, and I love Niall Curry I think he's doing a fine job there Sean Connor as well of course but I'm going to go for a win for the Oranges 2-1 uh, yeah now next up is Coleraine, who of course beat Linfield in midweek to reach the Irish Cup League Cup final against Glen Torren, who are flying at the moment. This could be a cracking oh, that'll game. Be, that'll be a good game, yeah, because I think there's nobody nobody seems to be talking about Glen Torren. I think no. they're only five or six points back. They're, yeah. they're kind of flying under the radar a little bit, but I think Coleraine will have too much. I think Coleraine will win that 3-1. 3-1 Coleraine. I'm going to go score a draw here. I, I think this will be an interesting game. I see both teams sort of setting up um, to be quite tough to break down, I think, Caroline. But I think both sides will nick a goal, so I'm going to go one-one. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's a win either way. They're a very tough one to call. Next up is Crusaders Balamina. Balamina are having a bit of a dreadful run at the moment. Yeah, they've had a terrible run injuries and about six of seven serious breaks and serious knee injuries and, and with big players as well. But it's just like any team. If you lose five or six of your main men, I think you're you're always going to struggle. Yeah. Um, but. I, not even with my Crusaders hat on, but I do fancy the boys at home. I think they'll go and do the business, and I'm going to say 3 now. Yeah, I'm going to go 3 1. Um, I just think Crusaders are, are got the bit between their teeth. A really good win last week down at Dungannon, and uh, they just have too much quality. And as you say, Balamian with so many injuries, I think it's going to be very tough for them to get a result. But with David Jeffrey in it, those boss, you, you just never know. I think David's a great manager, and I like seeing him do well. Oh, fantastic. He's a the Alex Ferguson of the league and long may continue. Yeah. Now, next up, a, a kind of a six-pointer here, Dungannon, who are in free fall against Warren Point, who've really turned things around in recent weeks. Yeah. Dungannon, obviously a club I, I played with for a few weeks towards the end, um, and, and a really good friend of mine, Chris Lindsay, is the manager, but I actually came out on Twitter the other day and, and, and kind of defended Chris and said yeah. that they just need to stick with him and, and give him a... Yeah, I feel for 
I feel for him as well. I think he's been very unlucky with a lot of injuries as well and quite a small squad yeah. of players, I think. Well, it seems to be. Yeah, and it's, it's difficult as well because he's battling clubs with big, big budgets. And, oh, definitely. And Dungannon's a small club and they produce their own and, and they usually punch above their weight. And, yeah. Um, even still, with the run they're on, they're still, they're still not rock bottom or anything. They're, That's true. They're third bottom. That's very true. So, um, I'm going to say Dungannon. I'm going to say the Bulls back get a, a, and turn it all around. I'm going to say Dungannon 2 1. I'm going to go for Dungannon to win as well, and I'm going to go for them to keep a clean sheet. I'm going to go 1 0 in this one. Don't really see it being a classic, but I think they'll nick the points 1 0. Now, I think I think Chris, Chris would take the points, not the classic, I think, at the minute. Absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of uh, guys or are, are teams that are needing points, Glenavon, having conceded six last week at home to Larne. Oh, <laughs> cheapers. That's an interesting one. I think I think the, the easy money beyond Larne, but I think it's it's never an easy place to go. Although although they're very up and down this season, Glenavon, mm. um, but usually they'll bounce back. But I'm actually I'm actually going to say a one each draw. A one each draw. I'm going to go for the safe bet on this one. I'm going to go Larne to win two one and maybe just put a little bit more uh, frustration in the Glenavon supporters' minds a little bit. And I felt for them, because I watched them against Linfield, uh, Glenavon, a couple of Fridays back, and they played really, really well. And then I just couldn't believe how they could go from that game to conceding six at Carrick. It just didn't... It just kind of frustrated me a wee bit, and, and it kind of made me shake my head a bit. But Larn are a good sign. They've been a really good uh, um, boost to the league this year, haven't they? Brilliant, and they're well coached and well done, and obviously everyone talked about the funding and everything that comes in behind it. But they've been fantastic within the community, and, and they've built the club up the right way. So it'll be a sustainable model for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And then last up in the Irish League, that is a one of your old team. Well, your old team, Cliftonville, away to Windsor to play Linfield. This could be an absolute belter. This one. Yeah, that's a tough one to call actually, um, because Cliftonville have been. Probably a lot of people are surprised. Ticket this year, they've done fantastically, in particular defensively. They've been they've been rock solid at the back. Um, but Healy teams don't generally lose too many on the bounce. So I'm going to say one each draw. One each draw. I'm going to shade this towards the champions. I think Linfield will bounce back from that uh, incredible result in midweek against Coleraine in the cup. Um, I actually, I actually, for my sins, tipped Glen Torren to win at Solitude last week on the score NI predictions thing that Michael does. Um, so, which I think I must have been the only one to do so. But I, I, yeah. I think uh, I think Linfield will win this one 2-1. But I have to say, I think Cliftonville are very much in this title race. I've been very impressed with them this season. Yeah, I, th- I think the January window will be interesting for them. I think they need a couple of new bodies. They might lose right back back to Derry's. Yeah. Um, they'll probably need two or three just to freshen up again, but I suppose it's true of most of the topics. Yeah. Now, last prediction before the end of this podcast is the Betfred Cup final. Rangers against Celtic on Sunday. Jeremy, what do you think? Um, I'm going to try and put a rationale just rather than just blindly back to Celtic, but... Um, uh, obviously, we played at Ibrox and at Celtic Park in the last few weeks, and I think there was a clear difference in standard and clear difference in um, top players for mm. me between Celtic and Rangers. I think the same halves in particular, the wide players. Um, obviously, Kent is very good for Rangers, but I think there's there's more goals and quality in that team. And so I'm going to say they win three one. 3-1, that's quite funny because I had written the same prediction as I'm going to change my mind on that and I'm going to go 2-1 Celtic. Um, I just have a sneaky suspicion that going into the game, Celtic are narrow favourites 
and you know, I think you're, I think you're right. There's, there's players in that team in Celtic that I just have with a little bit more trust, just coming up with the goods when it counts. People like Christie, people like Scott Brown, who always puts in a shift in these games. People like James Forrest. Defensively, I think they're much more solid. Last night against Aberdeen, I was really surprised at how poor the two Rangers centre halves were. Obviously, with Rangers, you've got Morelos, you've got Kent, as you mentioned. And they're going to be a threat and they will get chances. But I just edge it towards Celtic and I'm edging it 2-1. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to extra time for Celtic to win the game. But I think Celtic will sneak in. Yeah, and, and I think I think it is good to see a good and healthy and competitive Rangers back again. Because it's what the league needs, it's what Celtic needs. And Celtic without Rangers isn't quite the same. So it's good to see it competitive both in the league and the Cups again. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm, I'm sure, like yourself, I, I'm looking forward to watching the uh, the final on Sunday. And Jeremy, thanks very much for, for coming on the podcast, really appreciate it. This has been Campbell's Footballs, uh, the only podcast where bad predictions are cancelled out by good crack. I hope the show is just what the doctor ordered. Uh, listen, all the best against Hearts at the weekend, and thanks once again, Jeremy. Really, really enjoyed tonight's show. Pleasure, thanks a million. No worries. And uh, for all of us here, see you later on.